This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I've been with you this weekend and tonight and uh, early tomorrow morning I'll fly back to Tampa for a few days just to recover. I've been on the road for about the last six or eight weeks and uh, going to be good to be home ministering this week in Florida, Sarasota, and then I hit England, and then from there, Illinois, and then from there, Connecticut, a um, couple of other places, and then I fly to India, Africa, and that will be the end of the year. <laughs> so, um, but it's been good to be here, and we've made plans for next year by the grace of God, God willing, I'll be here the last week of April for the graduation of the School of Ministry as well as for an extended time of conferencing where I'll teach on the foundations, the doctrines, the belief system, the culture of Islam, and the Christian response to that, what's going on in their strategy for world domination, and what is our strategy for the advance of the kingdom of God. And so we'll do that um, next year by the grace of God. But I'm dealing tonight with the subject of transformation. And uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and now to tonight, what's tonight? Monday? Monday night, yep, Monday night. Um, remember that the call of God to your life through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is more than just having your name written in the book of life to pass from hell to heaven, but it is while upon the earth you can represent God as an ambassador, as a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God, to carry His presence, His power, His word, His love, His grace, and His glory to this generation. God could have chosen someone else, but God chose you. In fact, the Bible says that before you were in your mother's womb, God had already chosen you. In fact, it says before the foundation of the world, God prepared good works for you to walk in. That's not just acts of kindness, but it's the fulfillment of your ministry. Now, the greater your ministry, the greater the anointing, the greater the vision, the greater the faith, the greater the need for transformation, you will need that change under the trial and the tests of life that will come your way. And uh, I know this, that the Christian church has never been criticized for Jesus or the Holy Spirit or for the Bible, but has certainly been criticized by its vehicles, vessels, and people. If there's any fault that has come out of the church, it's been us. And so what's needed is to understand that none of us have arrived. We are all a work in progress, and sometimes in our innocence and sometimes in our ignorance, people make mistakes. Uh, unfortunately, those mistakes can be costly. And so God wants us to not only grow big in grace and love and vision and faith, but He wants us to grow up as well. And that growing up is the process of transformation, to become what we are. Not to become what we should be, we already are. An acorn has all the potential of being a great acorn tree. 
When you are born of God, everything that you will ever need to be the man or woman of God is already inside of you. God's DNA is inside of you. God's spiritual potential is already resident within you. You are really just becoming what you are. You are growing into the grace and into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are increasing in the revelation of your identity that is found in Him. I often tell Christians to be anointed, to be powerful in the works of the Holy Spirit is very important. None of us should live in spiritual emptiness. We must be, as Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. We can't afford to try to win this world in our personality, our charisma, our skills, our experience, our nice buildings, our air conditioning, our sound systems. They're all good, but they're not enough. What we need is the power and demonstration of God. However, if you've got the power and demonstration of God and you have poor manners, you're lazy and slothful, you are unkept, you're undisciplined in your ways, you break your word, you, you don't fulfill your obligations to man or God. How many of you know that your usability will soon run out? Your platform of favor will become very small. I often tell believers, being nice will help. <laughs> being friendly will help a lot. You can't just have the power of God, the Word of God. You have to have personality. You have to have manners. You have to have order and these things in your life. And so we must also have character being developed and conformed to the image of Jesus in our character. And that's the process of transformation. Now, tonight I want to try by the grace of God very quickly, because pastor said I'm going to lay hands on everything that moves and doesn't move, and so I better do that. But before I get there, I, I, I want to cover two things tonight, if at all possible. I said you're going to watch a miracle. Um, I'm going to teach on personal transformation and community transformation. And uh, I'm going to explain why as we go on. Um, uh, talking about community transformation, if this church closed down or any church that you are visiting from had to close down, we have to ask ourselves the question, would the community even know that we were there and would they miss us when we were gone? What is the impact of this church into this community? Do they even know that we are here? Have they felt the power of God, the power of our prayers, the power of our love, the power of our uh, good works? If we shut the doors today with people, huh, another church closed down, another one bites the dust, would we be missed? What is the impact of this church or of our church in our community, and then go beyond our community to our region, to our nation, to the world, because the gospel is never just for Jerusalem. It must always be for Samaria, Judea, and uh, even to the ends of the earth. It must always go beyond. 
And so we want to see community impact, but we also know that for us to impact the community, God uses changed lives, and that's personal transformation. I was in Saskatchewan in a, a small town by the name of Meadow Lake, and uh, it was a warm winter's day. It was probably about minus 45 degrees Celsius, and uh, people were out in their shorts and t-shirts. It's a whole lot warmer than it could be at about minus 65. And um, I was talking to the pastor, uh, Pastor Tylan Copeland, Copeland, Tyler Copeland, and I was his um, First Nations or Aboriginal, uh, original Canadians. And I was asking him the state of the First Nations spiritually and how they're fearing in this developing world. I love culture. I love peoples. I love to see them grow, become educated and, and develop. But I also want to see certain traditions and certain cultures be protected as well. Not protected from the gospel, but protected from westernization. The, the west is not the pinnacle. Within every culture is God. Within every culture is the devil. I want to see the God culture preserved. Anyway, I'm rambling, but I love culture. And uh, so I was asking him about what's going on spiritually and so on. And he began to tell me about the state of the people, alcoholism, addictions, gangs, broken homes, dysfunctional families. Um, when I heard it, uh, it was something like Nehemiah when he heard about the state of the city of Jerusalem. He was brokenhearted. He began to weep and he began to mourn. And my heart broke. Even though, to be honest, I've read about them over and over again. But to hear it from his mouth, those words penetrated my heart. And I found myself making a statement. I said to him, Tyler... I'm going to raise up a ministry team to come and live here and to work here so that we can break the power of Satan over this community. He had told me of a revival that had taken place there 10 years ago where over 400 souls were saved, healed, miracles took place, filled with the Spirit. And I asked him, what was the impact of the church? And he said, the biggest church in the area is 14 people, and they are dysfunctional. And I thought, what an insult to the cross. What an insult to an authentic move of God that only 14 dysfunctional people could survive the test of the world and the tests of the devil. I thought, what a pathetic gospel that would cause people to be so weak that they couldn't withstand this onslaught. And I thought of the early church as Rome and uh, the uh, Jewish people rose up to persecute the church, killing them, imprisoning them, and yet they grew and they prospered and they developed. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? Anyway, I made the statement, I said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to raise up a team. We're going to come live here, and we're going to work and help you reach your people and heal your people. So I came back 
And I went to our missions director. I said, I need you to get on a plane. I need you to fly there. I need you to go scout out the land and come back with a strategy. And he said to me, I don't feel it. I said, well, you better feel it very quick. Otherwise, you'll be looking for another job. I said, you can't live by feelings. You've got to live out of my vision. And I've given my word. So I'm telling you now, get the vision real quick. The next day, he phoned me. He said, I feel it. You say, that's very harsh, Leon. No, it's just the way it is. I don't have the luxury of wasted time for people to live out of their their feelings. The Bible says, go to the ends of the earth. I don't need someone to tell me I don't feel it, especially when I've given my word. My word is my bond, and I will keep it. And I needed his submission at that stage, not his questioning. When the ten spies questioned God, they died. And so I wasn't going to have him question the vision of God that had dropped into my spirit for winning that people. So he flew over, he took some guys up, and he came back and he gave me a strategy of how we could go in. And we decided the first town we would go to is a place called Pinehouse Lake. It's a town of a couple of hundred people. That's where the church of 14 existed, very divided, many backsliders. So we, um, we didn't have any workers. I had Don and Sharon Fisher about to go to India to go work and to develop uh, the Hindi translations and to start working with a young pastor in, in India to get that completed. And uh, then I had a young man and his wife, Derek and Chelsea, set aside to also go to India to another province. And Missy is sitting there. She knows. She's been in many of the GMR staff meetings. Mike, they've heard the story. They know the people I'm talking about. So you'll know that I'm not exaggerating the claims because you've seen this development. And so I said to them both, I said, sorry, guys, you are not going to India you are going to Canada. (laughs) And uh, I said, you're going to go work with the First Nations people. And uh, Pastor Don, who was 67 years old at that stage, or 66 years old at that stage, had been in ministry his whole life. He'd been in ministry as long as I've been, almost 40 years. And um, in fact, a great story, he was a United Methodist pastor And he asked me to come do a revival uh, healing meeting. And I said to him, I I don't specialize in healing. I really am carrying the anointing of revival. He said, please come do it. Well, the glory of God hit the church. He got fired. (laughs) So he planted a church called Joy Community Church. (laughs) And from that day, God prospered his life. And he was a good pastor. And he had submitted and worked with me very much like Pastor Bob and Ellen, and I'd given insight, but he got to a point where he wanted to hand over the church, and he said, Leon, until I go to be with the Lord, I want to give my heart to the nation. Send me anywhere. I will go. I said, great. I need you in India. And then I'd never really questioned him on his missions experience, because he's been in the Word so long. I know when you've been in the Word that long, you can go anywhere. But what I discovered that for over 12 years, he'd been working with the Cree Uh, Native Americans in the Dakotas. I didn't know that about him. And he loved working with the Native Americans. And so he was excited. 
And so I said to them, hey guys, all you got to do is go there from the spring until the fall. Because come minus 65, there's not much ministry that's going to take place. You're just going to be getting cabin fever. I said, when winter comes, you can go to India and you can go minister, get the translations, get some churches planted, and then come spring, you'll come back to the First Nations people. So they drove up to, to Pinehouse Lake, and we got them in this church, and they started the ministry. And after a few weeks, they started winning souls to the Lord, restoring backsliders. They started seeing addictions broken to the point that later on, Derek was teaching the school football team. They won the league in their first year of football. He taught the wrestling team. They won out of 12 students, 10 medals. And as a result, the team can go into the government-sponsored school anytime they want and preach the whole gospel whenever they want. They don't have to ask permission. They can merely arrive at the school. And the government-sponsored social workers call on our team to minister to the addicted because they saw the results that the gospel could do the work that years of counseling couldn't do, that government-sponsored. Now listen, America is very PC. Canada is PC on steroids, eh? For government-sponsored agents, you've got to understand, this is huge. This is community transformation. At the end of the fall, my team said to me, we are not leaving here in the winter, we are going to stay. And that spoke volumes to the community because every missions team, every evangelist only went for a few days, got a few photographs and came back home. But my team stayed and built relationships, sat around the table, fed the people, ministered to the people day and night for over a year. When they moved to the next city, that church is 140 strong in a year. You say, well, there were 400. You don't understand. 140 is like a church of 14,000 when you see the size of the population, it's huge. The power of God. Community transformation. Girl guides. The young men. The youth movements. The worship. The prayer movement. The Bible school launched. Our first Bible school. Our second Bible school. Now our third Bible school with the First Nations people with men students who work in the mines and they come home and they go straight into their studies where before they would take their money, get drunk and sleep it off until they have to go back to the mines. Now they come and they're in the Word of God. Miracles of healing, deliverance and changed lives. Why? Because of changed people ministering there, staying there, being a witness there, 
the power of community transformation. I worked in a place for many years in South Africa called Siskai. It was very violent, very dangerous. And I went into this little village about 50 kilometers from where I lived, maybe about 35 miles. It took me about just over half an hour to get there. And um, when I got into this village, I had my team with me. It was like I stepped into the mouth of hell. The violence, the rage, the danger was so tangible you could touch it. It was like looking into the eyes of demons. They immediately encircled my team and started to threaten us. In fact, some of my team who were not white, they were Africans. I'm an African. I was born in Africa. My mom and dad were born in Africa. Their parents were born in Africa. Their parents were born in Africa. Their parents were born in Africa. We go back to 16-something with the Dutch East India Company. We go way back. So I am an African. Now I'm an African-American. But you've got white Africans and you've got black Africans. I had black Africans in my team. They were afraid. Listen, when black Africans are afraid of black Africans, you've got to know. This isn't just about racism. This is a spiritual conflict of God and demonic spirits. It was like in the days of Jesus where Jesus passed through the crowd when they wanted to throw him off the cliff. Do you remember the story? And he just walked right through them, and the Bible says no one touched him. And I heard God speak into my spirit, and I said to my team, walk with me. There was a sound of authority. I said, walk with me. And I just walked. And as I walked, it was like a a hot knife going through butter. The, The line just opened up, and I walked we got into the cars, and as we drove off, they started hurling petrol bombs at the cars, stoning the cars. And as soon as I drove out of stone throw distance, or as you would say in the far south, spitting distance. <laughs> as soon as I was out of stone throw's distance, the Spirit of God said to me, go home and get your sons and come back here this afternoon. Leave the team. So I took the team back to the base, and I said to them, I want you to pray. I want you to rest. And I went home, and I grabbed two of my sons. Matthew was still a baby. And I grabbed Brad, and I grabbed Wayne. And I said, we're going to go to the village and play. And I drove back to that village. I got out the car, and that same hostility, they surrounded us. And I stood there, and I said, listen. I said, I know you'd like to kill me. And I know that you hate us. I said, but I've brought my sons here for a specific reason. Because number one, I'm not afraid to die. Number two, I'm not afraid that they will die either. Because I'm here to represent God who gave his son for you. I said, but before I die and before they die, there's one thing you'll know that there's a living God in the land and his name is Jesus. And his love is greater than my love. And greater than my love as a father for my kids. His love is far greater than your hatred. And they said to me, come into the village and speak to us. So we sat down and I shared the love of God. And I was able to minister the gospel to that entire village. 
And then I went to the, the, the trunk of the car. How many of you have been in England or South Africa before? I went to the boot of the car. The boot, that's the back of the car. And I got boxes of Bibles, and I almost had another riot on my hands, this time not to kill me, but to get the Bibles. They were so desperate, they started to attack me for the Bibles, and I was just throwing them into the crowd. And then a couple of things happened. When I get to my car, the principal of the school comes up to me, and he says, uh, they call me Umfundis, which is pastor. Umfundis. I need you to come and I want you to start a church in my school. And I give you permission to come to every classroom. And I give you permission to put a full-time Christian worker in my school to teach the Bible from class to class every day. Five days a week, from Monday to Friday, they can come and teach my students the Bible. I said, you got a deal. We planted a church there, and I put a, a, a worker in that school, and we used the school as our church, and we won that community to the Lord. What I didn't know that day was that the government had secret police in the crowd. And the secret police had been monitoring my activities, and wrote to the president of the country and said to the president, because I got called to the president, and he showed me a letter, a report. And wherever I went, wherever my team went, peace broke out in civil unrest. Why? Because I represented the Prince of Peace. And the president gave me a sealed letter that day that gave me authority to go to any government school within the country. Without invitation, without preparation, I could drive up to any school I wanted to and use it for the gospel, to plant a church in that building, to call the students, the teachers, the staff. As a result, I mobilized about 80 full-time missionaries going from school to school, and we reached between five and 15,000 people a day with the gospel because we administered to the kids and then the kids would run home and get their parents and bring them to the school. And then we'd minister to the parents. Then we'd stay in that village for seven days and preach the gospel. Then we'd stay another seven days and preach them the foundations, the book that you've got, Discovery. And then we would plant a church in that village. And if there were existing churches, we would support those churches with revived people. And if there were no Bible churches, we would plant a church. In seven years, we planted 65 churches. We revived thousands of churches. And we took over 300 villages for God. And we led way over a million souls to the Lord. There came a point where the president <laughs> called the entire nation to pray. Over a million people came. Every school kid was bust in at the government's expense, and I could preach the gospel to them. And I saw in one day over a million hands go up and receive Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Why? Because of transformation. Because a village came under the power of the gospel, and lives were changed. The day of Pentecost when the glory of God invaded that room, it changed their lives. 120 people were changed. Because before that, they were cowards. 
They had run. Now they were willing to both live and die for the cause of the gospel. And with the glory of God upon their lives, their first message, Peter, who had denied Jesus, gets up and preached. This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And 3,000 souls are saved. And immediately the church begins to explode. Daily prayer meetings, daily care meetings, giving, generosity, spirituality, growth, evangelism starts to take place. Why? Because 120 people were transformed by the invasion of God's power. And then 3,000 people were transformed by the power of the gospel. And then daily growth started to take place. And every person that got saved was changed. And that testimony started to affect the entire community until the church started to multiply. Transformation. Gate called beautiful. Two men, Peter and John. Silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have. And because of a miracle, because of a miracle, 5,000 men are saved and there's an explosion in the community. Why? Transformation, a life touched by God is changed. A miracle takes place. And when a miracle takes place, it has this effect into the community. A transformed life transforms the community. A family is changed. A people has changed. And that's what I want us to look at today, this process of change. Now, from First Chronicles chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10, this is what has been called the prayer of Jabez. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother's his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. I underline that because this is a critical key to transformation. The God of Israel. Who is Israel? Or who was Israel before wrestling with the angel of the Lord? Jacob. What's Jacob? Jacob is the supplanter. The Take over. But Jacob becomes a prince of God. Why? Because of an encounter with the angel of God, his life is transformed. Why didn't Jabez call on the God of heaven like so many Old Testament prayers? Because he is purposefully, by the Spirit, alluding to the fact, God, if you could change Jacob to Israel. You are the God of Israel. You are the God of changed lives. God, my life, my reputation must be changed. Because I can't continue like this. Why? Because he's an honorable man. He's not satisfied to stay where he's at. He knows there's destiny, purpose for his life. And he calls on the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And so God granted him what he requested. Many people have turned the prayer of Jabez into a selfish prayer just to get stuff from God. Jabez wasn't after stuff. If you look at the Chaldean translation, he says, God, would you expand my borders with many disciples? 
He wanted the village that he was in to become a learning center for the law of God so that he could bring a spiritual revolution to the, the, the tribe of Judah so that the praises of God would be perpetuated into the community that changed, community changed. He was, but he knew, he understood for my vision, my sense of purpose to be accomplished, to have many disciples who will be lovers of the law of God. I personally must get a new reputation. I can't cause pain. I want to bring the blessing of God. For me to bring the blessing of God, I need to be blessed. I can't give away what I don't have. And so his life was arrested by the touch of God, blessed by God, and he was able to influence his community with the law of God. So you see, Personal transformation leads to community transformation. Now let's have a look at Jacob in the Old Testament, later to be known as Israel. Who is he? He's the son of Isaac and Rebekah. And uh, he's also the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, you will remember when he was born... He came out of his mother's womb holding the heel of his brother Esau. Now, I don't have a lot of time to get into this. I've got about 10 minutes left before I'm going to start praying for people. But I want you to see something that from the womb, he's already contending for something that he doesn't even know how to identify. You'll remember that with his mother's help, he is going to lay hold of the birthright, using deceptive means. But you also remember that he bargained with his brother Esau, who was so desperate for a morsel of food that he was willing to sell out his birthright. It, Jacob wasn't just going for the birthright, he was going for what had been given to him. Why? Because the Bible says Esau despised his birthright. There are many Christians that despise the call of God. Why? Because they put no value in aligning their lives to this hidden potential of theirs. They give no value to what God has said would be their portion. They are takers and consumers rather than being sacrificial, going after the destiny of God. And so, yeah, we have got Jacob. This is who he is. And uh, I want to show you how Jacob struggles with God uh, and contends with him to lay hold of what is his destiny. He started by holding on the heel of Esau, not even aware but inside of him, he's always going to be going after something, divine purpose, alignment. But for that to take place, there's got to be transformation. Within Jacob, you will see personal transformation. Jacob becomes Israel. You will see community transformation because Jacob goes to a community called Luz. And at Luz, and we're going to read this in a few moments, he has an encounter with God. And Luz, a pagan community, will become Bethel, which is the house of God. Transformation. Now, the citizens of Bethel, uh, of Luz, didn't even realize 
that their place had been changed. Later on, God will refer to Luz as Bethel. Jacob called it Bethel. Eventually, God called it Bethel. Prophetically, he declared something over the community, not even fully realizing that there's going to be a transformation in this community because of an open heaven with God coming to men and men having access to God. Why? Because of a covenant blessing given to a man called Jacob. But it wouldn't stay there. There would become national transformation because Israel would become a great nation. But for Israel to become a great nation, Jacob is going to have to wrestle with God and God is going to have to touch him because he couldn't go in without a limp. He had to walk in the spirit. He couldn't possess this as a man. God's going to change his walk from being a mere man to walk in in the spirit. He couldn't go with the same old attitudes, the same old motives. He would have to be a transformed man to see national transformation. And then, not only national transformation, but the promise of world transformation because all peoples would be blessed through God's transformed people, Israel. All the peoples of the earth would feel the impact of this. Let's have a quick look at Genesis 28 from verses 10 to 19. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to highlight that. I suggest if you've got a smart device, don't take a pen and underline that. You can just bold it. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place, notice a certain place and that place, and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up to the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord, ah, that's the critical thing. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Hallelujah. Then Jacob awoke, oh, you better believe it, from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. A certain place became an awesome place because of the revelation of the presence of God. This is none other than the house of God, and it's and this is the gate of heaven. 
And Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, by the name of the, uh, but the name of the city had previously been Luz. <laughs> he prophesied change. So Jacob is a fugitive. And he's fleeing from his angry brother because of a quarrel. And he's on his way to escape. He barely escapes. And he comes to this pagan place called Luz. There's no inn, no Holiday Inn Express. There's no way to email his family. There's no cell phones. There's nothing. You could say he's caught between a rock and a hard place. And he takes a rock, and there's no, uh, in my hotel, I can get sometimes different kinds of pillows. I can get a firm, I can get a medium, I can get a soft pillow. But he doesn't have that choice. He's got a rock that he has to use, and that's all he's got. But when he goes to sleep, God is about to touch his life. He has this dream. And because of this dream, he has this revelation that this certain place has become an awesome place, the very house of God. A pagan town is immediately transformed into the gateway to God in one night. How did this happen? There are three keys here. Number one, and you'll see this throughout the Bible, and I'll just mention a few passages. Moses is at, the, at a certain place in the backside of the desert, and he has an encounter with the burning bush. And a certain place becomes an awesome place or holy ground. And he is empowered and awakened in destiny. You're going to see something come take place here. When you have an encounter with God at a certain place, it becomes an awesome place. Because it's the place of mobilization into your destiny. Moses is on holy ground. He never knew it. But at that moment of the burning bush, the voice of God, a certain place becomes an awesome place, and his purpose is awakened. And he's mobilized into his destiny. Gideon is in a wine press, trying to escape the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appears to him, and a certain place, a wine press, becomes the launching pad for his destiny as a leader that just with 300 people, he will through the power of God, with one sword, devour the enemy. Because God is about to launch him into leadership. Transformation in a certain place that becomes an awesome place. And he is transformed. See the pattern here. Uh, we could go on with Saul on the Damascus Road. He gets to a certain place on that Damascus Road, a bright shining light, the resurrected, glorified Christ. A certain place on the Damascus Road becomes an awesome place, and his life is awakened in destiny, transformed, and he's mobilized into apostolic ministry. Why? Because of the presence of God. Now, I can go on. The man at the tomb of the Gadareans. Here he is in chains, destroying his body, naked. But Jesus shows up a certain place, just a certain cemetery. And here he is. Jesus comes to him. His life is radically changed, transformed. 
by the encounter with Jesus. And he is launched. Jesus, can I go with you? No, stay. So he goes to Decapolis, 10 cities, and he announces Messiah to them. Why? Because a certain place became an awesome place because of Jesus. Jesus is sitting at a well. It has historic significance. It is a well that has been dug by the patriarchs of old. And while he's sitting there, a woman comes to the well. She comes to a certain place. But it's about to become an awesome place because Jesus is there and her life is radically transformed and an entire community is changed because of her transformed life. Certain places in the encounter with God become an awesome place and the potential of their lives is awakened to do something to the glory of God. So not only is the place changed, but the person has changed. Why? Because of the encounter with God. What brings about the the change is the presence of God. God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Many people are, are not conscious of the presence of God. Pastor Bob started the meeting by saying, how many of you sense God in this place? You see, you think I'm just sitting there. Going through my notes, I'm listening to every song we sing, every word we sing, every prayer that is prayed, everything that you speak. So I want to find the prophetic flow of God. And then you turn and say, well, it doesn't matter if you feel Him or not, He's here. Because you can't live out of your senses. But God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But there's a difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. Little schoolboy, the teacher's trying to explain the omnipresence of God. He says, he's got a candy in his pocket. He says, is God in my pocket? Yeah. But here's a thought is that the omnipresence makes no demand on the candy. The omnipresence in the, the pub or the casino makes no demand on the people. God is there. But the moment God's presence is revealed, how many of you know God will not only go for the trousers, He'll go for what's in the pocket. Why? Because that's the nature of the manifest presence. He's going to come and change. That's why when you get saved, your pocketbook gets saved with you. Your money is saved. Your bank balance is saved. Your house is saved because God's universal, God's omnipresence. But when He makes His presence known, there is a demand to align your life to His call. I can keep it, thanks. It's going to be helpful to you when I pray for you. The omnipresence of God is in a certain place, but then when He manifests Himself, it becomes an awesome place. A pagan town becomes Bethel because of the manifest presence of God. We used to sing in the old days, just one glimpse of His glory, just one touch of His hand, and our life will never be the same again. Why? 
because of the manifest presence of God. Anyone who comes into an encounter with God, something is going to change. You are going to change, and the place that you're standing is going to change. Because God's in that place, revealed in and through your life. The second thing I see here is that, i try and put this in as quickly as possible. Notice that when God comes to Jacob with his head on that rock, that Jacob's hurting. He's in trouble. Now, how many of you know that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? How many of you know that God is good, God is great, and God touches people in their need? But I want you to see something here, that God does not come and touch Jacob in his need. Because his need is only a symptom of his life's issues. His life needs transformation. He, does, he doesn't need God to intervene in Esau yet. God doesn't need to intervene in his pain yet. God needs to get to the root of the matter, and that is that, Jacob, I've got a plan for your life. And so many people want God just to meet their need. But they're living in that realm of need. But sometimes what you think is such a great issue is really just a manifestation of the need for God to transform your life and to awaken your sense of purpose, calling, something bigger than your need. I'm glad that excited you so much. God's kingdom was bigger than Jacob. He wanted pagan Luz to become Bethel. He wanted Israel to emerge. He wanted the nations of the earth to be blessed through the seed of Jacob, the seed of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, which is Messiah. Through this life, the supplanter would come a Messiah. And all the nations would be blessed today. We are the product of this changed life. Hallelujah. Not merely saved at the rejection of Israel, but crafted in to God's plan to bless Israel. The third thing I see that God gives... Second thing is God gives him a, a dream, a sense of purpose. The third thing is that God's going to awaken Jacob in passion. Presence, purpose, and passion. Without passion, we're not going to change our world. It's passionate people that will carry the love of God, the anointing of God, the Word of God. God's going to drop passion in his life. We need to come into a partnership, not just with a task, with a mission, but with the purpose, the one who purposed this. It's a relationship with the one behind it, with God himself. And so, Jacob would forge a relationship with God. And it's out of this that we come into partnership with God. And so 
I feel like it says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so God puts his message in these vessels that have been touched to reveal himself to the world. Our transformed lives become carriers of this message to our generation. In closing, three things that Jacob does. The first is he awakes. He wakes up. Some people are sleeping when they should be waking up. Romans, I believe in 13, says it's time to wake up. It's high time. In other words, this isn't a time to snooze. This is a time to awaken into the destiny of God. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife, not in envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's the transformed life. The transformed life is the life that wakes up to the call of God. Why? Because the light changes the community. Where the light goes, we are bright, shining lights, the Bible says, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Our lives that have encountered God become carriers of light. Hallelujah. The second thing that Jacob does is he announces Jacob announces the transformation. He declares, this is God's house. This is Bethel. This is the gate of heaven. He begins to prophesy into that community. And God has raised us with a prophetic unction to enforce the destiny of God into our community. Our words should be carriers of blessing to bring transformation to our cities. Too many people curse their cities, curse their nation. We need to bless it prophetically through the gospel, through prayer, and through the proclaimed word of the destiny of God, that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that the gospel be preached to every nation before he comes. And the third thing he does is he anoints the rock symbolizing the manifest presence of God in this place. And he sees the transformation. Now, I mean, Luz, when you get to the entrance of the city, the signboard says, City of Luz, population 502. There's the Inn of Luz, there's the Shop of Luz, there's the the Hotel of Luz, there's the Pub of Luz, there's the Casino of Luz. All the places were still there called Luz. But the moment Jacob called it Bethel, God saw it as Bethel. God got into agreement with the prophetic word. Didn't call it how it appeared, but how it would be 
because of the tangibility of God's presence. Jacob pursued his destiny in God, and I believe God wants to transform your life. We need to awaken in presence, in purpose, and in passion to carry God's personal transformation into community transformation. And whatever it takes, we've got to press through those barriers into the tangible presence of God to see that change take place. Let's stand. Let's go into a time of prayer. Lord God, your presence, the knowledge of the presence of the Lord covers the earth. God, tonight we're in this church, this building. We are your church, and this building is your church. You filled the upper room, and you filled the people in the upper room. You placed your fire upon each one. None were excluded. Everyone came under the move of God. God, there were none that could say God passed them by, left them. Everyone in that room was touched. And God, tonight I pray everyone in this room to be touched by your outstretched hand, by the power of your right arm. God, would you reveal yourself to each one. Where there are issues in our lives, where there are blockages in our lives, where there are barriers, whether they've come from others or whether they've come from ourselves, God, would, the, would you tonight, through your touch, remove these barriers and blockages and obliterate the very cause of them and invade these lives with grace and mercy. Grace, your unmerited, undeserved favor. Mercy, God, the trouble we're in when we've caused it ourselves. God, even our mistakes, our frailty, our weaknesses, deliver us, O oh God, from evil. Deliver us, O oh God, from our mistakes. Deliver us, O oh God, from our flaws, our weaknesses. And fill our lives with your presence. We need you, O oh God. We don't just need you to meet our need, but God, we need you to awaken our calling, our anointing, our ministry, our vision, our faith. God, tonight, even as we minister, as we lay hands on people, ministries that have been neglected, would you revive them? Ministries and dreams that have been shelved. For some mystical day that will never come unless we make decisions. God, would you revive those ancient visions, dreams, and callings that have fallen into disrepair, neglect. God, would you awaken these holy things. Words of prophecy that have been spoken upon lives that have been pushed aside. God, would you revive the potential of those words in every life. Seeds that we have sown unto destruction. God, would you in grace reap out those 
plants from our lives and give us a harvest of righteousness. Forgive us, O God, for our errors, our mistakes, our weaknesses, and our flaws. And don't let us harvest, O God, what we have sown. God, let us harvest what you have sown for us. Let us become partakers of your harvest by grace. Cleanse us from all sin, that we may stand in your glorious righteousness in garments that have been made white as snow, not marred with guilt and shame and humiliation and embarrassment, but God standing in the grace, standing in the mercy, standing in the love of God, the acceptance of God. Come touch us tonight. God, where there be disease, sickness, weakness in the body, touch us. God, where there be poverty, touch us, oh God. Where there be unforgiveness, where there be broken relationships, God, speak into the heart and don't let the root of bitterness germinate and bring about a wave of destruction, God, Minister healing and peace into these lives today and restored relationships, I pray in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662 890 1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a